Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Arseblog Arsecast, right here on arseblog.oleole.com. Hope we find you well this Friday, or whenever it is you're actually listening to this particular cast. It comes after what has been a very good week for Arsenal, on the pitch and off the pitch. Two wins, one in the league, one in the Champions League. A big win off the pitch. The financial results were released, and man, we're loaded. We're sitting on a pile of cash. We're never going to spend it, but never mind. At least we've got it. And it comes in the week when Arsene Wenger has become Arsenal's longest ever serving manager. So we'll be touching on all that during the show. The -the off-the-pitch stuff, the finances and all that. I'll be chatting to Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust on the pitch. The one and only Gunnar Hollick will be here to share his views on what's happening. Uh, As well as that, we've got Talkshite Radio. We have got Dan Nielsen. And there's some poetry somewhere in there as well, as well as all the usual bits and pieces of waffle. So what's happened since the last Ars cast? Well, last Saturday was my birthday. Arsenal played Fulham and they gave me a good present, a 1-0 win away from home. Not exactly our most accomplished performance. We had young Italian uh, Vito Manone... To thank for keeping us in the game with some really incredible saves. Um, he started early, didn't he? One from Andy Johnson, a header, and then he got up and took one from Clint Dempsey in the face, and it was a double save, and there was another save from Zamora or Dempsey again. I lose track of which of them exactly was shooting on goal all the time. But he saved them, all of them, and we didn't pl- play particularly well. Uh, a moment of exquisite genius, I think you could call it, Fabregas um, didn't have his best game, I think it would be fair to say. But even when he's playing below par, and for Cesc that was below par, he is capable of producing a pass like that to Robin Van Persie. And Van Persie's control and finish were absolutely first class. But that pass, did you watch the replays of it? Do you see the way his leg moves? It's kind of weird. It's, it, I don't know. I don't know if you're... A normal footballer's leg can move in the way that his leg moved to make that pass. I don't think so. Maybe a good footballer's can, but not a normal footballer. Like Robbie Savage's leg can't do what Sesk's leg did to make that pass. It just can't. That's why he's Robbie Savage, and that's why Sesk is Sesk. You see? But a bad, not a bad performance, but not a great performance, but a win. And that's the most important thing. And, um, you know, we've been through a couple of these. The bad performance and the comeback against Liège, and we won. And the bad performance and the, and the grinding out the kind of win that Manchester United do 
and Chelsea have done in the last few years. They haven't played particularly well. The opposition have had their chances. The keeper has had a good game, kept us in it, and you get your chance and you score the goal and you win. And to me, while you'd love to see us play better all the time, to be able to win like that is not something this Arsenal team has been able to do on a regular basis, if very often at all. So it was very good to see and encouraging in a way, in a strange way. And then midweek was Olympiacos and a very good performance. Uh, some beautiful football played. Uh, we were all waiting for the goals to come a little bit quicker than they did, given the amount of possession we had, given the tactics of the Olympiacos team. I mean, have you seen a team that negative in, in a long time? In the sixth minute, we have the ball in, our, in the center circle, and they've got all their men behind the ball. You're thinking, oh, no. But we were much better than them, and they weren't very good at defending, which meant we were able to create chances rather than being frustrated, passing the ball back and forward across the box, etc., etc. Sesk undoubtedly back to something approaching uh, his real kind of form. He bossed the game. It was really, really impressive in midfield. Uh, we had Rosicki playing very well. Arshavin adds something to the team. Van Persie played very well. Everybody, uh, for the most part, played very well on Tuesday night and we deserved the win and the goals even though they came late uh, everyone knew I think they were going to come there wasn't that sense of nervousness and anxiousness that there has been in the past but anyway to talk a little bit more about that game and, and the football in general I'm joined right now by Gunnar Hollick from GunnarHollick.com hello there hi there blog thanks for inviting me again uh, we'll start with the Olympiacos game and uh, the performance was uh, I suppose an improvement over what's come before but do you think the, the hard fought wins over Liège and against uh, Fulham uh, last weekend have given the team maybe a bit of confidence to play the way they did on Wednesday night? Well, I'm not so sure about that. Confidence out of the performances in Liège and Fulham, not really something that goes together. I thought they were probably the two worst performances we've put in this season. I understand where you're coming from in terms of we got actually out of those two games with results, which is great. And we've touched on the fact that uh, on both of our blogs last season, those games we would probably have lost because there wasn't the sort of effort that seems to be being put in now, even when they're not playing as well. Uh, but I thought actually the performance against Olympiakos was a world different from those two. And like you say, it was, it was probably one of the better performance or the best performance of the season in terms of you know the, the technical aspect of the thing. I thought we played well from start to finish. It helped that Olympiakos didn't come with too much ambition, it has to be said. <laughs> uh, but, but nonetheless, we, uh, despite the fact that the goals came in the last 12 minutes, I don't think anyone would look at that game and deny that 2-0 was, you know, really the least that Arsenal deserved out of it. Mm. I, I made the point after I nearly got into trouble that I thought everybody uh, in that first hour, bar possibly one player, was playing well. And it was very difficult for Arsene Wenger to change things around because he didn't have a big man on the bench after uh, Benner had swerved off the road. <laughs> and so he had pretty much more of the same to bring on and yet nobody was playing bad. So who did he replace? Mm. But it was a strange one. But nonetheless, the result worked out in the end. Okay. Well, I, I, I have this feeling that, you know, given the fact we struggled through those two games and, and came out and won them, I, I, I think that's given us a, not, not so much confidence in how we perform, but how we've got the results. And I think once you start getting results, then performances uh, follow those. So that was just yeah, my line taken. of thinking there. Yeah, um, 
the performance itself, some of the, the football we played was fantastic. And we've seen teams that have come to the Grove before and they've, they've sat with all their men behind the ball and, and they've frustrated us. Now, maybe some of it was to do with uh, Olympiakos' lack of um, defensive ability, the inability to, to, to frustrate us and to keep us out. But you have to say that the, the, when you've got Rosicki in your team, you've got Arshavin in your team, you've got Van Persie in your team, and you've got Fabregas, who looked much more like his old self, it becomes a lot easier uh, to, to break those teams down. And, and having uh, particularly Rosicki back, I think, in the middle uh, of midfield, he adds a, a bit of craft that, that we've been missing against teams like that in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with every word you've said there. And the, the, not just the fact that Rosicki's come back, but I think the fact that he was there uh, kind of set the example that was followed by Fabregas and Arshavin, who, it has to be said, haven't been at their best all season, haven't mm-hmm. been at their most consistent. But I thought the other night that Fabregas in the first half completely bossed the centre of the park and in the end, you looked at where the goals came from. Um, he, he obviously had a hand in them both. But actually, it was also the, the width of credit. All right, the second one was in the end. The width was provided by Eduardo and the cutback by Eduardo. And, but it was Fabregas who provided the width for the second one and the, the ball into the middle for Arshavin. I thought they, they had a range of options that were open to them. But sometimes you don't see, when teams come and park the bus there, you just see them trying to play pretty little patterns around the edge of the box. And that width isn't there. Uh, So I I think if they can find a way of incorporating Fabregas and Rosicki and Archavin, and still to come back, if there's a way of incorporating those four guys, I think we've got a a great deal to look forward to. But Mm. we shall see, because... Uh, it may just be too much creativity for one side at any one time. Mm. I mean, that's. I mean, you mentioned Nasri there. Uh, the line dropped a little bit. You were mentioning Nasri to come back and Walcott to come back as well. And yeah. with with all due respect, maybe the difference uh, between uh, Arsenal uh, on Wednesday night and Arsenal another night is, for example, uh, instead of Rosicki, you've got Danielson and and. Uh, he's obviously still young and, and not quite capable of what Rosicki uh, can do at, at that point in his career. But having these guys back and, and keeping them fit is going to be the key to, to success this season, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and the point you make about Danielson, if you look at what we've been doing earlier on in the season where you've had Danielson and Song, kind of two players shielding the back four, it was refreshing to see, although unfortunate for Danielson, the circumstances of him not being around, but nonetheless refreshing to see that really they were reliant upon Song these last couple of games and allowing the more creative players to get forward. Now, that can only help Song in the long term. What we do about it after Christmas is another matter altogether, but I think it helps the side not to require two players to sit back. All right. Okay. Um, Arsene Wenger, uh, we, we have to touch on the man, not uh, literally, um, but uh, he's now our longest serving manager and, and um, uh, you being, I suppose, what would we call you a veteran? Um, <laughs> you, you've seen a manager or two in your time. How have you rated him and, and the 13 years that he's been in charge of, of this club? Um, I'm, I consider myself very lucky, not just because I've been around for the time that he has, 
but my old man was also uh, a staunch Arsenal fan, and he was around in the days of Herbert Chapman. So, you know, when you talk to the old man who's now 87, and you hear him comparing the two, and you hear him talking about Wenger in the same terms as Chapman, um, it, it's hard to explain just how much those two guys have done in order to transform the football club, and, and both in similar ways. You look at Chapman turned up, Highbury was a bit of a ramshackle ground. He really was the driving force, A, between, behind putting a decent football team on the pitch, and B, uh, getting the club to develop that magnificent Art Deco facade and, and, and stadium uh, that became known throughout football. And Wenger's done something very similar in his time. And what is most remarkable about it for me is that you have to remember when he came, the Arsenal board were very nervous about letting managers have their head after what had happened with George Graham. Mm. So he's done, he, he's not only um, driven the club forward, but he's done it in a way, he's had to influence people who in the early days probably would not have been totally in tune with where he was coming from. So he's influenced the way that he's done it, the prize, the trophies that he's won. And in recent years, I'll grant you, there's now some some debate about whether or not we've put enough into the playing side of the club. But the fact that we've built this new stadium, we've gone through a second phase of development at Highbury Fields. There's a third phase still to come. And this man, make, whilst making a net profit in the transfer market, <laughs> has kept the club competitive. I, I, I cannot understand for the life of me anybody criticising him. Uh, but, you know, uh, that's, that's, that's me. You would be surprised to hear me say anything else. No, well, I mean, it's, a, I suppose, a testament to his, to his longevity, which is strange. Um, I mentioned on my blog about Chelsea, you know, Mourinho is, is sacked after winning uh, the title or, you know, uh, cups and silverware and all kinds of things. But there's a generation now of Arsenal fans that only know Arsene Wenger as, as the manager. And yeah. and that's kind of unheard of um, in, in modern football, bar one or two clubs, United obviously being the, the example. The point, of course, about uh, Manchester United is that they too kept faith with a manager who at times, and particularly in his early days, uh, was not being successful. And, you know, that he even had a second phase there mm. where he was threatening to resign himself when, when of course, Arsene Wenger himself was coming in and Arsenal were winning titles and, and prizes and United didn't win anything for three years. So United and Arsenal have shown probably the, the, the example there of, of keeping faith with a manager who is absolutely on the ball is probably preferable to the, the Chelsea way of doing things, in my opinion. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm sure uh, you don't need much encouragement to raise a glass to the manager, so um, I'm sure you'll do that. I will too. Gunnar Hollick from GunnarHollick.com. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. Thanks ever so much for that, Blogs. A gentleman and a scholar, Gunnar Hollick, and not just because he's bought me a pint every time I've met him. I mean, I am easily bored, I'll admit that, but that's got nothing to do with it. I promise you. Do check out his blog. Add it to your bookmarks or RSS or whatever. www.gunnerholic.com Now, before we crack on with finances and all that kind of stuff, here's Danielson. Hello, everyone. It's me again. Dan. Dan Nielsen. 
the Arsenal midfielder. You may notice by the different background noise that I've had a change of scenery. I am no longer at my secret lair. I mean, upmarket flat. Nah, I'm on holidays. Now, the first thing I should say is that this has nothing to do with the 17-year-old vagrant I was seen talking to at King's Cross the other night. Nor does it have anything at all to do with the delicious stew I made out of his sweetbreads. <laughs> now, I've got a back injury, you see. Crack vertebrae, the boss said you'd best go away and recuperate. So here I am. On the beach, secluded chalet away from the rest. Oh, it's top of the range, let me tell you. I'm loving it. When I arrive, the cabin boy says, Oh, Mr. Den Nielsen, I know your back is a bit crock, so give me them. We don't want you to do yourself a mischief, do we? No, we don't, you foxy little wanker, I said. He carried my bags all the way to the bedroom. Thank you very much, I said. You deserve a nice tip. Not quite the tip I'd like to give you. In fact, I'll give you a bit more than the tip. Never mind. I said, here is a few bob of your own currency. Oh, look, I appear to have dropped it on the ground. Why don't you bend over and pick it up? Which he did. I didn't do nothing to him. Not yet. More from Den Nielsen on another Arscast in the very near future. Now we'll turn the focus from football to finances. Not that that was really football, but you know what I mean. And with me uh, to talk about the uh, financial situation and the financial results that the club have just announced is Tim Payton from the Arsenal Supporters Trust. Hi, Tim. Hi there. Um, Arsenal Holdings PLC released their financial results during the week. Um, they're impressive, to say the least. Maybe you could give us a little breakdown of, of um, what it all means. There were two elements of the results that were impressive. I think the first one relates to the, the football income, which went up to $225 million from $207 million the year before, um, which is a, a record, obviously. That relates in part to the extra games that came in the Champions League and the FA Cup and income coming from there. So it's very, very healthy. But what we must also remember is that it was us as fans buying extra tickets that, that paid for that. And it probably can't go much higher because mm. we're all feeling the squeeze at the moment. Um, good news that the club have frozen the prices um, for this year. And I think they need to keep a careful eye on that. But it does still show the loyalty and commitment of Arsenal fans to the club. On the other side, the really good news, I think, from what looked a worry six months ago is that I think they are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel on the property. Um, the loan has gone down from about 120 million to 47 million. They've now sold more than 400 of the properties, including a very big deal that was announced last week with London and Stamford, a big property company. And fingers crossed, property market staying where it is. I think you can see that running through over the next year to 18 months to deliver Arsenal a profit maybe of about £30 million. You, you, you think that the property side is going to actually generate profit? How soon will that happen, do you think? Well, I think if the property market remains where it is at the moment, if you look... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The values that were secured on the most recent sales... I think that they will be paying off the loan and starting to see a profit probably in the second half of 2010, so about a year away. And yes, if the units sell, uh, you know, conservative views on prices, what prices are now, you'd expect it to be about 25 to 30 million pounds return. And in terms of what that will do, um, uh, I mean, I know the football and the, the property side of things are different, but the profit that they make, will that have an impact on, let's say, the money that's available to the club? Because uh, you get the feeling that they've kind of had an eye on what's happening on the property side, maybe with a view to keeping money back from the footballing side, just in case. Yes, I think you're, you're right. What would happen is that the, all the debt on the Highbury Square property would be gone. So you'd be left with a you know, a, a very stable, smaller debt of around £200 million, which was the money borrowed to pay for the stadium itself. That's on a very long-term interest rate, which requires a payment of about £20 million a year, which can obviously be very comfortably serviced from the £220 odd of football revenue. So to answer your question, that £30 million profit from the property, once that issue has gone away, the loan is paid, that goes into Arsenal's transfer kitty, um, should he choose to use it? Yeah, and that's the the big question. Should he should he <laughs> choose question. to use it? Yeah, of course. I mean, we we I think we've got a clearer idea now of what what kind of money is available to him. And uh, he was uh, uh, what would I say? He was using deflection tactics during the week, wasn't he? He said he's happy with his squad, but he said, you know, it, it's this time of year. You can't just go to Waitrose and buy a footballer, no matter how much money you have. So uh, January will be the uh, the test, I suppose, as as to whether or not he's going to use some of that money, or whether there's there's pressure on him to to use it. It, it will be the test. I mean, you know, what you don't do in September when the window is closed is tell your current squad that you don't think they're good enough and secondly alert people you might be buying from that are going to do that so they push the prices up. Mm. And, you know, I think we've seen that, you know, whatever signal Arsenal, give, Arsenal gives in his press conferences has no relation to what he might do in the, in the next transfer window. But what you can say, and it's repeated by Ivan Gazidis in the club account, is that he has all of the money secured from the sales in the summer of Adebayor and Torre, and he has this ongoing healthy financial position of the club. I don't like putting a figure on it, because sometimes the press come and report it up, but, you know, he has got tens of millions of pounds to spend in the next transfer window. Um, That's particularly interesting, given the fact that just a few months ago, 
we had sort of a media blitz from Red and White, uh, Ali Sharuzmanov, um, talking about how we we needed a rights issue. We had to compete. We had to um, dilute the shareholdings in order to give the manager money to spend. The property thing wasn't working out. They produced sets of figures based on I don't know exactly what, but it seems really as if those were scare tactics um, based on the results that, that we're seeing right now. Well, they've gone rather quiet this week, haven't they? I don't think I've seen a comment on them. Um, but, you know, perhaps it would be nice if they could congratulate the club on some good figures. They do perhaps have a have a point in having highlighted, we all know that we've gone through some difficult times with the amount of money that the team has had to um, be invested in it. And that was partly a strategic decision made that we would get a bigger stadium that in the long term would make ourselves healthier. But if we look back at where we are now, Red and White were saying the property was a huge concern. I think we've got a tick by that now. They were saying that the wage bill was going to escalate out of all control. It went up by 3% this time around. And one or two, you could say, overpaid people that were right aren't there anymore. And they were um, also suggesting that the manager didn't have any money to spend. And clearly he has said that he did. And we can see where those revenues have come from. So I think that you know we'll have an AGM next month that will be relatively quiet, and you know hopefully there won't be too much of a, a large shareholders not in the club at the moment making statements that destabilise the position of the manager while we want him to concentrate on the pitch. Hmm. Um, Stan Kroenke has added to his shareholding uh, only eighty shares. Um, should we read anything to it? Anything into it? Because you know all the papers are going Kroenke is now closer to take over. Blah 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 blah. I mean, is this just a little bit of a an opportunistic buy or as part of a longer term strategy? I think it's part of a strategy, which is he'll pick up shares where he can to move himself towards the thirty percent limit. I don't think that that is driven absolutely by a desire to launch a takeover. I think it's more that is the maximum number he's allowed to hold. And at the moment, the board balance of the boardroom is is, is quite tight. Um, and he wants to make sure that alongside Danny Fisman and other board members and smaller shareholders, that there is a majority of over 50% so that the current board keeps control of the club. I think that's the objective, to make sure that he's in the camp that has over 50% and continue to run the club as it is now. I think the newspaper's got a bit overexcited this morning. Finally, if we can have a word about Ivan Gazidis, he's coming up on a, on a year in the job. Um, so far, he's been uh, impressing everybody. We know he's been doing quite a bit behind the scenes as well in adding to the uh, in adding to the administration team, I suppose. And we've got somebody in uh, this week or last week, I think, whose who's, uh, who's job spec is dealing with player contracts, you know, whether renewing or bringing in new players. So uh, he's doing a, a lot of work behind the scenes and um, uh, it seems to be going well for him. That's right. I think he's been a breath of fresh air. I think how he communicates with supporter groups, you've seen that in some of the way he's listened and has put the foot on the pedal for improving how the stadium feels and looks for Arsenal fans. He's communicating more to Arsenal supporters. I think I even saw it in an interview with yourself, which Indeed. is great. He's realising how Arsenal fans connect with their clubs and it's not all through the traditional media. But behind the scenes, he's recruiting an in-house lawyer to save costs there. He's brought in an international marketeer and that's the area perhaps if we had a, a you know some challenge to the club at the moment, it's you've got to improve your commercial performance. We earn less in revenues than the Chelsea's and the Liverpool's and Manchester United's and he's identified that and brought in someone called Tom Fox. He's brought in Dick Law to support on the football side and thinking about contracts and structures. And, you know, 
is it's very positive. I think he's going to look, we're going to look back on him as one of the, one of the important signings of the last couple of years. All right, Tim, we better leave it there. But thanks a million as always. Very interesting, Tim Payton from the AST. Thank you. If you'd like more information about the Arsenal Supporters Trust, about what it is they do and how you can join, you can check out their website. It's arsenaltrust.org. That's www.arsenaltrust.org. Now, before you look ahead to the Blackburn game, it's time for some talk shite radio. In there are delays right across the city because a specially number-plated Porsche, which may or may not belong to a lecherous old radio presenter who can't keep his bloody hands to himself, has been put in the middle of the road and set on fire. <laughs> we'll have more traffic in an hour. Thank you very much, no longer sexy, because I'm not allowed to call you sexy after that hour and a half long meeting with HR and the written warning Australian traffic girl. I'll tell you what though, somebody who doesn't mind the odd smack on the bum is annoying Scottish pundit, and he is with me today to discuss Arsene Wenger. Welcome to Talk Shite. Uh, thank you very much. Now, this week, Arsene Wenger has become Arsenal's longest ever serving manager. I know we've been critical of him in the past, but we're not ones to hold a grudge. We should look at all the good things that he has done for football in England. So, our tribute to Arsene Wenger. Uh, annoying Scottish pundit, what exactly would you say is the best thing about Arsene Wenger and what he has brought to English football? Well, I think the first thing you've got to say is that we've never ever had a manager before with a swear word in his name. His name is Ars N. Wenger. Ars, oh, that's fantastic. Even to this day, you know, he's unique. We don't have a fucking McDougal. Or even with all the continental and foreign managers, we don't have a Contolio Rodriguez. So for me, that really is the best thing he's done. That is a very good point. He does not get the credit he deserves for that. And I'll hold my hands up and say that I am guilty of that. Now, whatever you think about Arsenal as a football team, and personally, I think they are the most despicable football team I've ever seen in my life. Even the Nazis in Escape to Victory were nicer people than any Arsenal team you can mention. They do play nice football. Let's face it, they get the ball on the ground, the passing, the movement, the goals, magnificent to watch at times, despite the fact it's absolutely sickening every time they score a goal. So what is it about Arsene Wenger that allows him to make his team play that way? Uh, it's funny you should ask me that, you know, because I've got a theory on this. You know all those times after a game, practically every week, in fact, when an Arsenal player gets a red card... And Aston Wenger says, I didn't see it. I certainly do. Well, has anybody stopped to consider that he's actually completely blind? And because of this blindness, all his other senses are totally heightened, allowing him to coach his players in a manner that no other coach can. To me, nothing else makes sense. You are as insightful as that scar running down the middle of your forehead is unsightly. Finally, annoying Scottish pundit, if you had to sum up Arsene Wenger in just three words, what words would you use? That's difficult, I have to say. You know, the English language has such a huge array of descriptive words. To choose only three to describe one of the most successful managers in English football history is very tough. Uh, but number one, French. Number two, fucking. And number three, I think I'd have to go 
was cunt. Thank you very much, annoying Scottish pundit, for that heartfelt, glowing tribute to Arsene Wenger, which I'm sure has touched the hearts of all Arsenal fans. This is Talkshite Radio. We're going to take a short break, then we'll be right back with an exclusive interview with Stan Collymore, in which he tells us the best way to hit a woman in the face and the best way to wank yourself off while sitting on a fence watching other people have sex in a car. Talkshite Radio, talking shit about sport 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. Now, coming up this weekend, it is Blackburn Rovers at home. And you know what? I hope we kill them. And I know there are many of you that are sitting there going, yeah, I hope we kill them too. 4 nil, 5 nil, 6 No, I hope we kill them. I hope our football is so scintillating that there are nothing but 11 white and blue clad corpses lying on the Emirates turf. You may think that's a bit harsh, but I really fucking hate Blackburn Rovers. Always have done. Even when they beat Manchester United to the title, it was kind of like, oh, I know they've beaten United, but Jesus Christ, this means Alan Shearer has won the title, and Tim Sherwood has won the title, and Kenny fucking Dalgleish has won the title. And then there was that whole Chris Sutton incident back in the 96-97 season. Well, we kicked the ball out because one of our players was injured. They fucked it down and chased in the throw-in and got a corner and scored a goal. Can't remember who scored the goal. It was one of those Newell or Flickcroft people. I don't really remember. And we finished that season level on points with Newcastle. But Newcastle had a better goal difference. So we finished third. And at that time, only the top two got into the Champions League. Or the European Cup or whatever the fuck it was called back then. And we missed out because of Blackburn Rovers. And we've had our run-ins with them in the past. You've Andy Todd elbowing Robin Van Persie in the face and getting away with it. And them just being dirty bastards in general. And now they're managed by Sam Allardyce. Regular readers and listeners will know that I don't have a great deal of time for Sam Allardyce. Someone came up to me tomorrow and said, would you like to have dinner with Sam Allardyce or would you like me to inject you with Ebola in your eyeballs? I'd be like, give me the injection, please. Anything to prevent any time spent with that fucking outrageously enormous cunt Allardyce. Hate him and his teams and his tactics and his fucking disciple Phil Brown. Who will come to at another stage? I'm I'm really worried, actually, I have to say, that Phil Brown is going to get sacked before we get him back at the Grove. I'm very worried about that. But uh, not just at the moment. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, focus my ire on Blackburn Rovers. So when I say I want us to kill them, I really do want us to kill them. The Great Arsenal Massacre of 2009, they'll call it. Arsenal were so good for Blackburn Rovers that all their players died on the pitch, either through heart attacks or shame or I don't care how, just once they do. And Sam Allardyce, it was amazing. What was that film, that David Cronenberg film, Scanners? You know when he's shouting on the side of the pitch and you can see the spit coming out of his mouth and the the tie tightening around his neck and then... I want his head to explode all over the place. And then I want us to charge Blackburn Rovers the price of cleaning up his blood and brains off our pitch. Yeah, I don't like Blackburn. 
Uh, team news from our point of view is that Eduardo is out. This is bad news. He's got a thigh muscle injury, as Arsene would say. Um, and it's a recurring injury, and it's happened a few times now. It's a bit of a worry. Um, even in that short little cameo against Olympiacos, he hurt it, so he's out of the game. Manuel Almunia may or may not be back, but is unlikely to play, according to Arsene Wenger. Whatever the hell he's got, or has had, maybe he got in... Yeah, I know what happened. Someone said to Manuel Almunia, would you like to have dinner with Sam Allardyce, or would you like to be injected with Ebola in the eyeball? And that's what's happened. Makes sense to me, doesn't it? Because chest infection keeping you out for a month or three more, I don't know how long it's been, but it's a long time. So Manone, no doubt, will continue in goal. As well as that, though, Theo Walcott is back. Hurrah. Theo is back. And Nicholas Bentner is back after his car crash. So that's also uh, good news. Uh, Bentner, big and strong. And, uh, you know, I, you know what I'd really like to see more of from Bentner? Aggression. More aggression. Focused aggression. You know, he came on against Everton that time and got sent off for a pretty nasty challenge. And in fairness, it was a red card. But more, he's so big and strong and manly. No, he's big and strong, though, isn't he? He should be more aggressive, I think, and barge people around and smash them. A bit more, I hate to say Drogba to him, but, you know, just more elbowy and stuff. I'd like to see that. Anyway, he'll be back and hopefully in the team and hopefully Theo will get a run out as well. And hopefully Blackburn will die. And we'll score loads of goals. That's my one hope for the weekend. So it is. Really is. So really, that's about it. We'll leave it there for this week's Arscast. Um, Hope you have a good weekend. The match is on Sunday. Gives us an extra day to prepare ourselves. Here's to three points, a good performance, all the rest. I'll talk to you, of course, all week on the blog and on next week's Arscast. So until then, take it easy. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Hello everyone, Tony Adams here with another poem on the Arsecast. This week's poem is a tribute to Arsene Wenger, now he's Arsenal's longest ever serving manager. And it goes a little bit like this. Oh Arsene, if I live to be 110, I'll never be as good as you. You won the double without too much trouble, and then you did it again, like an hen laying an egg. A season with no loss, make the other teams look dross, like eleven Stepanovs. I love you, Arsene, and when you die, I'm going to take your brain and stick it in my head so I can be the manager of Arsenal. I am, you know. It's about the only chance I've got. Thank you very much.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.